Good morning, everybody. Wow, you guys, you're a good-looking group. Man. Hey, welcome. I know there are some of you who haven't been here for a while. Um, we're seeing some old friends come back in. Summer's winding down. Oh, I know. But the parents in the group are like, yay, summer's <laughs> over. The kids are going back to school, right? But that means everything kind of returns to, to normal. It's funny how normal lives kind of take a backseat during the summer and everything's in the air and everybody's all over the world. And if it wasn't for Facebook and Instagram and all those things, I'd have no idea where anybody is. But now I can look at you and even though I haven't spoken to you in maybe a month or more in some cases, like I know where you've been. I know what you've been doing. It's kind of feels powerful up here actually knowing those things and interesting. So when I make eye contact with you, you know, I know where you've been. So... Anyway, hey, welcome. I'm glad that you guys are here. We are, uh, for those of you who are, are, are in need of a little catch-up, we do put our messages on, uh, we podcast. So we podcast on iTunes and on Google Play. So you can go on there, look for Discover Community Church, and you can hear our previous messages. For the past 17 weeks, this is week 18, we've been in a series called Sermon on the Mount. And that's a long time to be in a series. You know, normally a series is, is three to five weeks maybe, but I felt like the Lord just wanted us to go through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Now, you've heard Sermon on the Mount series taught in five weeks, but we're taking each individual section, each, each distinct teaching of Jesus, and we're breaking it apart, and we're teaching on that for the weekend. So that's where we are right now. So specifically, we are going through chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew. Again, that's, that's the Sermon on the Mount is what it's known as, the single greatest collection of wisdom that's ever been known. Even scholars to this day agree that this is the single greatest collection, whether it's religious or secular wisdom, it's just great wisdom on how to live. And there's very little argument over that. And so there's so much meat here that we've been going through all this. Now, if you remember 17 weeks ago, when we kicked off the series, here's the very first scripture that we started with. It sets the tone for what's going on here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them. So this is where we are. Jesus has been touring the Galilee, the region around, uh, around the Galilee. And he's been touring around and he's been preaching. And he's become well known as a really great prophet. And every place that he goes and he preaches, he gathers crowds. And he's starting to gain momentum. And people are starting to get curious about who is this guy? Who is this Jesus, this prophet that we're hearing so much about? And it's starting to get to the point where everywhere he goes, he collects a crowd. So every time he stops to teach, a crowd starts to gather around him. And so he finds himself in this place where he's actually having to find places to hide just so that he can relax a little bit, so that he can recover, so that he can pray to God himself, and so that he can recharge and be ready to pour out to the crowds. So this is where we are. He's actually come to this place, and he thought that he was going to this place to rest, get a little bit of rest for himself, but he looks around and he sees crowds. He sees crowds, okay, they know I'm here, and they're already starting to gather. Some of them are disciples of his. Many of them are disciples of his, but a lot of them are just curious people. They've come from their homes and from their villages and from the countryside 
where they've heard of this prophet. Oh, he's in our area, and he's, he's kind of a curiosity to some of them. And they're going to come, and they're going to see what he has to say, see what's going on with this guy. So that's where he is. He sees the crowds gathering around. He goes up to the mountain, and he sits down, and he starts to preach. And so this is where we are. Picture yourself in that place. Not that I am in any way equating myself with Jesus, but just picture you have come with some curiosity to hear what's going on. And this is kind of the scene. So like any good sermon, there's a flow to what he's teaching. He doesn't just, even though this is a collection of great wisdom points, I've seen all the different points of wisdom listed out numerically. And this is not fortune cookie wisdom. This isn't he's just breaking them open. What's this one say? Okay, random wisdom. That's not what that is. This is a sermon, and it's got a flow. So he starts out the sermon by talking to us about, okay, if you want to be one of my disciples, if you call yourself a child of God and you want to be one of Jesus' disciples, here are some of the things that we'll promise you, meaning he and his father. Here are some of the traits that you should begin to exhibit, and in exchange for exhibiting those traits, here are some of the blessings that you'll receive. So he starts out with a section called the Beatitudes, okay? And I'll just recap what the Beatitudes are really quick. Now listen, again, you're sitting there and you're listening to Jesus teach these things. It's the first time you've heard him in this collection. And so he's talking to you, and he's saying this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is teaching the character traits of his followers, the character traits that they should begin to grow in. And he's coupling that with the blessings of God. You will exhibit these traits and you will be blessed because of this. So he's laying that all out there. And so I want to imagine, I want you guys to think about, you're in the crowd and you're watching this. And Jesus is teaching these things. And so after he says just the Beatitudes section, what would you be thinking? What would be running through your mind? What kind of thoughts would you have? And what would you be thinking if Jesus had just told you these things? First time you've ever heard them. No idea. idea. Ann's got no idea. All right, Jonathan. What would you be thinking? Work with me, people. <laughs> I, better <straighten> up. <laughs> I, better, I better straighten up and, and I got to start doing these things, right? Right? What would you, what would you be thinking? Wow. <laughs> wow, that's a lot, right? That's a lot to chew on. I kind of think that if it was me, I, I hope that if it was me, I would be saying, I want to be that. I want to be that person. I want those blessings. And so if I want those blessings, he's kind of laying out some of the character traits that I need to exhibit, 
right? So you're thinking it's kind of a cross between what is he saying, where's he going with this, right? And then saying, I want that. I want to be blessed because of these. I'm not sure about the persecution part, but I do, I do want those blessings. So this is where we are. You've heard those things. So he lays out, he says, here's, here's the blessings, here's the character traits that I want you to exhibit. And then he spends the next while going into detail in practice on what these things look like. So we've spent, we have spent, he didn't take 17 weeks to preach this. I think his crowd would have slowly dwindled over that time. Maybe not. But as he goes through this, you can hear the disciples just listening and saying, I want to be like that, but that's a lot of stuff. That's kind of hard because he really goes into detail on how to live that life. And that's what I would be thinking when he talks about, as we have heard over the past several weeks, that it's not just enough to know what the word says and do what the word says. That's hugely important, yes. But that's just our starting point because even if we do what the word says, but we don't do it with the right heart, with the right frame of mind, and our mind is not in that renewed state that he wants it to be, that's only possible through the Holy Spirit, by the way, But if that's not where our heart is, it's not enough to follow the letter of what's in the word. Pharisees did that, and he goes on and on about how don't be like them. I want you to be better. I want you to be better. And so we reach this point where he's told us about the rewards and the character traits, and he's told us about how we ought to be thinking about these things and where your heart needs to be. And then last week, we talked about the ask, seek, knock section, which is where you've come to the point to where you're saying, okay, I want all these things, but man, that's a lot. How do I do that? And he teaches us in the message last week in the section of scripture, we, we heard him teach about just simply seek him. Seek him, seek his father, seek the kingdom of God first, and these things will be added unto you. So we're not just left alone to figure it out. He says, yeah, I know it's hard, but here's how you can get there. I'm not going to leave you alone. It's not just for you to stumble across. I will walk with you every step of the way. And I'll help you achieve these character traits. I'll help you achieve the blessing of God because it's the Father's heart that everybody would achieve that blessing. So that's where we come to. We come to our scripture for today, which is Matthew 7, 13, 14. It's called the narrow gate or the wide and narrow gate. Okay, and we'll get to the scripture here in a second. But we've gotten to the point where Jesus says, here's the rewards, here's what you have to do to get them, and now Jesus issues a challenge. He's come to this point. You're sitting here. You've heard everything that I've taught through all this time. Now he issues a challenge. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what you know? We in this society, in this culture, I don't know exactly what it was like back then, but we love challenges, right? We love challenges. We spend so much time on social media and all kinds of things, getting our friends around us and talking about challenges. Let me show you some challenges that I found, okay? These are just the PG challenges that I can show in church. Now, 
I want you to guess what some of these, some of them say what they are, so there's not much guesswork involved. But you can't answer if you're under 25, okay? Because you will know what they all are. I want to show you a picture of the first, the first common challenge. What's this one called? In my feelings What did you say? In my feelings Actually, that's not what this is called. Oh, is that what that is? Well, I've never heard it called that. Okay. So she's, she's on that border of maybe under 25. This is not a smart challenge. But a lot of people are doing it. The idea is that you jump out of a moving car and you dance alongside the... Mo- yes, exactly. That was my reaction. You jump out of a moving car and you sing this song as you do it. People are getting run over. There's all kinds of crazy things that are happening. Okay, store this away in your memory for like two decades from now when people are going, what were you thinking when you did this? Okay, that's definitely one of those. Next challenge. Ice bucket challenge. Now, imagine seeing this picture 10 years from now, and you're thinking, what are these people doing? Now, this is a challenge that was actually for a good purpose, for ALS support, but people, again, as we do, took it to extremes, okay? Just Google it, YouTube it. You will see all kinds of great examples with people, 55-gallon drums falling on their head and things because they're trying to overdo it. It's just how we do it. We love a challenge, We want to share it with our friends. We want to challenge our friends to join us in these challenges. All right, let's see the next one. Has anybody not heard of the Tide Pod Challenge? Okay. Tide Pod. What I love about this picture, that's a family. That's mom and dad and the kids. The family that challenges together ends up in the hospital together. All right, next one. Cinnamon Cinnamon challenge. Specifically, this is a cinnamon challenge before and (laughs) after. Before and after cinnamon challenge. Who thinks of these things? But people love a challenge. YouTube is just packed with different people doing this thing. And it's not like you take the challenge not knowing what's going to happen. They know when they do it. Okay, next one. You were here last night. You can't. Cheater. You're a a pastor, Lauren. You are not supposed to be cheating. All right. Chubby bunny. That's right. Again, another family portrait that you want to save for your kids to look at and say, what were you thinking? All right, next one. The 100 layer challenge, okay? The idea is that you put 100 layers of anything, something on you. In this case, it's duct tape on the one and on the bottom, and then on the right is Elmer's glue. People are doing this. A hundred layers of Elmer's glue. Sometimes it's makeup, some different things, but you, you paste yourself with a hundred layers of whatever the thing is. All right, next one. Hot 
pepper challenge. This is another one that you know exactly what you're getting into when you do it. You know it's going to hurt, and you do it anyway. You do it anyway. And not only do you do it, but you post pictures of it on Facebook. You post pictures of it on social media. You invite your friends to join in with you. And in many cases, you know the negative consequences of it, and you do it anyway. We don't have enough to do in our culture. If you had to go out and plow food, plow your fields to have food so that you could survive, we probably wouldn't have time for this kind of thing. But the point is, challenges have been around forever. And the thing about a challenge is that by its nature, you get to decide, am I going to partake in this challenge or am I not? And we joke about these things, about how dumb they are. Some of them have very real consequences. But for the most part, if you decide, I'm not taking that challenge, there's no consequence, right? There's really no consequence other than that your friends might bug you and, you know, social pressure to, oh, come on, everybody's doing it. But there's no real consequence to not accepting one of these challenges. You get to choose. But the difference in what Jesus is challenging us here with is that there are eternal consequences. Not only eternal consequences in the then and there in heaven, but a here and now consequence. It's a matter of life and, and the life that we live on this earth. And this is what Jesus is challenging us with. In fact, it's not a new thing even in Jesus' time over 2,000 years ago. It wasn't even a new thing at that point. Because we go all the way back to some scripture in Deuteronomy. This is Moses teaching. Now Moses had just come down from hearing from God and he is laying out God's rules about how to live with each other and, and the way that he wants us to interact with him. So he's just done all that and then he's kind of starting to wrap it up here and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death the blessing, and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So he has just laid out all the rules of how to live. If you're not sure about that, read the first several books of the Bible, and you'll see it's got a lot of rules in there. But even when that's all done, he says, I give you the choice. I set these two things before you. In fact, a little bit earlier in verse 15, uh, same book, same chapter, verse 15, he calls it life and prosperity versus death and adversity. That's how he words it. Life and prosperity or death and adversity. It seems pretty straightforward what we're going to choose, right? But then why does he have to say, I give you a choice? It ought to be it ought to be pretty straightforward, right? But he still, even then, is offering a choice. Why? Because that's the way our Father God designed it. We are not robots walking through this life to where if you take one wrong step, you fall off the cliff and, ah, game over. Reset, start again. It's not like that. He gives us the choice to walk the path that he has laid out for us, and he gives us very clear instructions in how to do that. He doesn't leave us alone. He says, I'll walk with you. Here's the path. I'll walk with you. And this is the choice 
that Jesus is giving us, the challenge as we look at our scripture for the day. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. This is out of the New American Standard. It's one I like to teach out of. It says this. This is Jesus teaching. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is a challenge. It may not seem like a challenge at first. But you look at it and he's saying there's a narrow gate, there's a wide gate. There's a narrow way, there's a broad way. You get to choose. And it's a choice. And it's a very real challenge that Jesus is issuing. Look at it in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount so far. Here are the blessings that your Father wants to lay on you. Here are the character traits that he wants you to exhibit to get you to that place of blessing. Here are all the things that you need to be thinking. Here's where your heart ought to be. Not just the things you need to do. Here's where your heart needs to be as you walk through this. And I will help you get there. I have sent my spirit to speak to you to help you get to that place now that you know what are you going to do with it. This is what Jesus is saying. Now that you know all these things, what are you going to do? So this is where we find ourselves. So we look at verse 13 right here, the narrow gate. The narrow gate, he's kind of drawing an illusion. You'd think he's talking to people who some live in the countryside, some live in Jerusalem, some live in other towns around the area. But they would be kind of familiar with that reference to the narrow gate. Now, Jerusalem itself has several gates. Most of them has eight, in fact, very wide, major gates around the walled city of Jerusalem. But there are also smaller gates, smaller gates just big enough for one person that are essentially made for either maintenance or just going outside the walls to get water or check on your herds, things like that. There are other small passages, gates, and that word translates as either passage or gate, passages that would approach the city that are very narrow. And this is what he's referring to. He's referring to these narrow, sometimes hidden, sometimes strewn with obstacles, pathways that he's calling the narrow gate. The thing about a narrow gate is that attackers wouldn't typically use them. Attackers go for the wide gate because you can bring all your equipment, you can bring your horses, you can bring your wagons, you can march your legions in there. You can do that through the wide gate because the wide gate accepts anybody and everything. The narrow gate is a one-man proposition, one at a time. You can't bring your wagons through it. You can't bring your armies through it. Leaves you vulnerable, leaves you open. You're alone going through that gate. So this is what he's alluding to. The gate's not always a physical opening or an iron gate. It's sometimes just a very narrow pathway. And this is what Jesus is talking about right here. As opposed to the wide gate, when he talks about the wide gate, again, this is wide gates, and they're standing near Jerusalem, right? And he's preaching this. (coughs) People would have known what he's talking about. They would have immediately known the illusion that he was trying to make. The wide gates were the ones that conquering armies would come through. Jerusalem had been conquered many times at that point and many times after that point. It was very common. 
marauding armies would come, they would conquer, and they would parade their armies through the gates, wagons and, and legions abreast, and they would come through in, in grand parade. And not only that, but merchants, people from all over the region would come through there. The wide gates accept everyone and anything. It's no defense. Whatever you got, whatever baggage you're bringing, whatever you want, come on in. The wide gate accepts everybody. These are the gates that he's talking about. I want to give you a little side history lesson. For those of you who have been to Israel and specifically to Jerusalem, you'll know about this, but it's an interesting kind of a side tidbit. If you see this picture, this picture is a picture of one of the eight gates that surround the walls of Jerusalem. Those are the actual walls of Jerusalem. That's an actual gate right there. This one is called the East Gate, sometimes called the Beautiful Gate. Um, It's debatable whether that's the one referenced in the Bible or not. But this is actually the gate that Jesus went through on Palm Sunday when he was going into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he was riding on the back of a donkey. And people were laying down palm fronds and shouting Hosanna in the highest. Remember that? This is the gate that he went through. So this is actually still there. One thing to notice about this gate immediately is it's not a gate anymore. This gate has been cemented over. There's 16 feet of concrete that that gate has been cemented over. Now, it's been destroyed and rebuilt a couple times, but it was first cemented over in 500 AD. Each time it was cemented over and closed, it was by a Muslim ruler who did it. And not only is the gate cemented over and closed, but if you notice what's in the foreground right here, it's a cemetery. It's a cemetery. These over on the right, those are gravestones. So these right, these right here, those are gravestones. These are crypts right along here and some more gravestones. So the gate is cemented over, and it's blocked with gravestones. Why would that be? Why would a Muslim ruler... Now, all the other gates were left open just fine, left intact. Why would they worry about this one? It's because prophecy says this is where Jesus, the Messiah, is going to return. Triumphantly enter the city through this gate right here. So they've cemented over, not once, but twice, 16 feet of concrete. They've cemented over a gate to block a Messiah that they don't believe in. That's what I thought. Not only that, but they put a cemetery down front. You know why they put a cemetery down front? Because Jewish custom as a high priest could not have contact with dead bodies or with graves. It would, it would dirty them. It would stain them. So they walled off the gate. They put a graveyard here all to stop a Messiah that they don't believe in. Interesting side history note. Here's a funny thing, though. Our Messiah has already returned through that gate, and he did it on the back of a donkey before they ever walled it up. So back to our scripture. Let's throw that scripture back up real quick. All right, so enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That word, the way, right there, see, early followers of Christ were sometimes referred to as the way. In this instance, 
See, the Hebrew and the Greek language are very, very complex, and you need to look at the context and the tense and everything. What he's talking about right here, the way, simply they are just simply referring to a road. In that case, the, road, the way is broad that leads to destruction. Now, destruction right there, we think of destruction as like in the movies, it's blowing up, it's gone, right? Destruction, you're, you're dead, you're, it's game over, man. That's what we're talking about, destruction. But that's not what that word really translates to. Again, our language is so limited. What that word translates to, though, is being cut off from what could have been. Being cut off from what could have been. So Jesus is saying, enter through the narrow gate, the gate's wide in the way that's broad that leads to being cut off from what could have been. And there are many who enter through it. The gate is small, and the way, in this case, and in that text, that tense and that placement, the way is journey. So here he is referring to being a follower, being a disciple. And the way is narrow that leads to life. This is what he's talking about. The way means journey. And now, when Jesus is talking about these things, being the gate, the gate is small, and it leads to life, he's referring back, well, he's not referring back, but it's documented in Scripture what he's talking about. I'll refer you to two Scriptures here. John 14, 16, I think we have it. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Where did we hear that? No one comes to the Father but through me. This is Jesus speaking. Next one, John 10, 7, says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's being very specific here. He's not leaving us any wiggle room or gray areas, right? This is why Christians are sometimes called narrow-minded. Oftentimes, in a derogatory sense, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, are called narrow-minded because we believe that there's only one way to the Father, and that way is narrow. It's not come one, come all, whatever you believe, however you feel, come on, yeah, let's all, the gate's wide, it'll fit all of us, let's go. We believe as Christians, or we should, the teachings of Jesus that says that way is narrow. And you need to make a decision because it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to leave your stuff behind. It's just big enough for you. That's the choice he gives us. And we're called narrow-minded because of it. I think that's something to be desired. It's not something to feel like we have to apologize for. I feel like it's something to be desired, to be known as narrow-minded. And I mean narrow-minded in that there is but one way. What kind of a loving friend, when they ask you for directions how to get somewhere, would you say, eh, it's just that direction. You just head that way. Somebody asks you how to get to Disneyland. You just go, well, just, just go west. Eventually, you'll see it. You'll see it. It's all good. Or would you give them a map? Or better yet, a GPS that said, okay, you go this way, turn this way, go that way, go this way, go that way, and you will get there. 
I believe that we have a loving God who loves us too much to just say, hey, good luck and see what happens. We'll meet up at the end or we won't. Jesus promises life to everyone who seeks it. And that life that he's talking about in that last verse is the fullness of life that God promises us. It's that fullness that's only attainable through Jesus Christ. That's the life that he's promising there. And so again, we get to decide. It's not something that you're going to accidentally stumble upon. You can't just say, I'm going to live a good life and do the best I can. There are plenty of people who say this. I'll do the best I can, and surely that's going to be enough. God loves me, right? I'll just live a good life and be, be a generally good person. You're not going to accidentally stumble upon the narrow gate. It is an intentional choice that we make to pursue that gate and to accept the challenge of Jesus and thereby reap the rewards and the blessing that he promises us. That's the choice that we get to make. The narrow gate is the difficult path, and it's the one that we should be seeking. It's the one that we should be seeking. Conventional wisdom will tell you if there's an easier way to do it, do it the easier way. Why would we do things the hard way? Does anybody here still churn their own butter? Uh, there's always one. What about who's got their own sheep so that they can shear them, make the yarn or the thread, and sew their own clothes? Nobody. I would call you a liar in church <laughs> if you said that. I'm not talking about churning your own butter or making your own clothes, okay? There are some times when there is an easier, better way to do it, but not in this case. This path is hard, and Jesus makes no bones about it. This path is not going to be easy. It's the choice to put others before yourself, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength or the choice not to. We get to make that choice. Jesus is not big into gray areas, okay? It's right or wrong. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. This is what we get to choose. Gray areas are like she's kind of pregnant. Anybody here ever been kind of pregnant? You either are or you aren't. This is what Jesus is saying. He's not into gray areas, and he's not apologetic for it. You need to put others first. You need to love God. That's what being a follower of Christ is, and you need to do it with the right heart and with the right mind. So what are the consequences if you don't accept Jesus' challenge? What are the consequences really? If you know Jesus and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, Scripture says that we will be saved. Okay, so you could live your life saying, I know Jesus. There are plenty of people, there are Bible scholars who know Jesus, but haven't accepted the challenge of living the word every single day. Because that's hard. That's hard. You can know Jesus. You can know his teachings. 
You can quote scripture and verse. You can have studied the Bible. The Pharisees did that. And you don't live your life like a follower of Jesus. So it's our choice. So it's not a salvation issue, but it's a life issue. It's a here and now, everyday life issue. Jesus says this. This is John 10.10. This thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So that promise, abundant, what's abundant mean? Well, I looked it up, so you don't have to. (laughs) Abundant means over and above, more than is necessary, extraordinary, surpassing, and uncommon. Uncommon. I was debating whether to do testimonies or not. Because this can be a difficult thing. The testimonies I was going to offer, and you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm almost out of time. Worship team, get yourselves ready. I'll call you up here in just a minute. It can be a difficult thing because what I'm going to ask for testimony-wise is somebody who has given up the broad way who has given up that wide gate, come one, come all, I can do, I'll just do the best I can, way of life, and has given that up for the narrow pathway of following Jesus. And specifically, the ways that 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 has blessed or changed your life. And that can be a hard thing because I'm going to ask you to admit, I wasn't always living my life the right way. But now that I am, look at the ways I've been blessed. So is there anybody that would like to share a quick testimony of that? I know it has to be a first, and then there'll be several. Okay. I'll come to you. Come to me. Just stand here. I'll, yep. Oh. You're a tech guy. You I'm know, a tech guy. A I'm an AV guy. I should know these things. <laughs> um, hey, I'm Michael. Um, so I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. But uh, sort of one of the deep um, flaws of my character was this rage. And I was constantly angry. And I was angry at the world, and I was angry at God. Because he gives me all, the, you know, gives all these talents and stuff. But then um, I'm kind of, it's like weird because I'm an introvert, but I'm relational. So I, I've realized this very recently. I love talking to people. But... The entire, my entire life, that's been sort of destroyed from me and taken from me. I've been ridiculed in school. I couldn't make friends. My youth group essentially ostracized me. And so I was incredibly bitter, but I, mom, my mom actually came at me really hard one day and said, there's something wrong with you. You need to figure it out. And so I got in the shower. I'm just fuming. And all of a sudden, I just felt this call. It's like, you going to give it up? You gonna do it? I was like, fell hard, knees to the ground, and I just said, take it, just take it from me. And ever since then, God has been awakening my emotional capacity for people. So I'm able to actually communicate with people on a more effective basis, and I'm able to actually relate to people, and it's also incredibly opened up my 
mind in terms of thinking about the metaphilosophical things about God and how the universe works and how the universe was designed and how people sort of fit into that narrative and how we have the ability to work with God to bring life to the universe. And when we choose otherwise, not only does that death and decay revert into our spiritual lives, it resolves throughout the whole universe. You talk about the fall of Adam, the whole universe is decaying. So that's my testimony. That's great. Thanks, guys. Good job. Thank you. My name is Katie, and I'm Lauren's mom. So that makes me kind of famous by association here. And awesome. <laughs> My story is a whole lot more worldly. Um, when I was young, <clears throat> excuse me, I was a theater major, and I was on my way to becoming the next great, I mean, I come on, Meryl Streep is living my life, is all I got to say. <laughs> and I was headed there, and I was told I was good, and I was, I was ready to embrace that life, when all of a sudden I walked into church one day, and I met this preacher, who then married me within three months, and then we had three children and a, a wonderful life together. But what I'm saying is, this right here, right here, is the product of my obeying God and turning away from that, that worldly life, that, um, oh, that glamorous life, and that life that they all told me that I could have because, you know, I had some talents, and I just said okay to God, and I put that aside, and... I have a wonderful family, and now you have this one right here. And it's all because the Lord worked through me to bring you this. All right. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? We have time for one more if anybody else wants to. Remember, that testimony that you want to share could be something that blesses somebody immensely. So don't hold back. Here we go. Linda? Um, when I was in college, I found a lot of my identity in my athletic ability and in my physical fitness. It was just kind of wrapped around. That was where my image was at. That, that was who I was. And, um, and uh, my, I, I, I kind of um, identified myself with the latest feat I could accomplish. And and there was one specific feat that I was going to do, and it was this Aspen Triathlon, really rugged, going up the Aspen Mountain, coming down Aspen Mountain, riding your bike, I think, to Maroon Bells and back, and swimming a mile, and I was training for it. And this was going to be the epitome of how I identify myself. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that I overtrained and got really sick. Um, and also, um, I kind of waited to pay my my entry fee, and it was the first time ever <laughs> in Aspen Triathlon history that, um, that there was too many applicants, and so I, this was, I was crushed. You'd have thought that somebody in my family died. <laughs> what, what happened was my identity died, and it was really wild because it was at a time in my life where I was so prideful. I mean, I, I just, I just thought I was it, <laughs> and, um, and, and this thing just broke me. And it was funny, a, a friend of mine 
when I was boohooing to her shoulder, she's a good Christian friend of mine, and all she said was, she goes, I sensed there was a lot of pride. And as soon as she said that word, it was like it pierced my heart and it identified what I had wrapped myself around. And it just broke right then and there. And it was wild because it just changed my life. It changed my identity because all of a sudden I decided, you know what? I've just been pursuing life for my self-glory. I'd been a Christian. I'd been raised in the church. I just kind of went to college and kind of, that just kind of took a back burner. You know, he got distracted. I thought I was getting really smart, <laughs> smarter than God, <laughs> and didn't need his help making my life decisions. But <clears throat> anyway, I started doing, th- I never, I never needed to do any of that stuff for identity ever again. And I just decided I would do all, any, anything I would participate in. If I did, it was random and it was for God's glory and it was for enjoyment. And I just, and kind of like that's, that whole thing has just dropped off. I have no identity in that, but yet I enjoy the aspect of recreation or fitness. It's just a totally different meaning, but it's something I let go of. And God gave me an identity in him because after that, I just pressed into the Lord. I saw my need for him, and it changed my life radically. Um, my faith became my own. It wasn't my parents' faith. It was my faith. And I just, um, I just love how he broke something so big in my life off of me instantaneously. And so I just want to encourage you that just like him, it's just kind of like some of those big issues that you think they're going to be so hard to give up. And it's like, I don't want to give this up. And it's like, and they become like nothing. It just becomes such an easy release. And it's not as hard as you think. Amen. Nice job, Melinda. Thank you. You know, our God is a God of exchanges. He's never going to ask you to give up something without offering you something far better in return. He's not going to allow something to be taken from you without using it for your good. He promises that. His word promises that. And so no matter what that thing is, whether something that you had prayed for and hoped for and felt blessed by was taken from you, or whether there's something that you've wanted and you've never been able to achieve it, and it hasn't come your way, it's not because God doesn't love you. God wants to bless you. And so he will take that thing that the enemy meant for evil, and he will use it for your good. That is God's promise to us. And our choice is do we accept the promises and do we accept Jesus' challenge to live our lives in that way? That's your choice. That's not for anybody else to put on you. I can't point at you and say, make that decision. I could, but it's not going to be effective. The decision is yours. That's the way God set it up. That's the way he wants it to be because he wants your heart, not just your actions. He wants your heart. So worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. So I want to ask you the question. If you want that over and above, extraordinary, uncommon life that Jesus offers us here, you just need to make that decision and say yes. It's only possible, first and foremost, through knowing Jesus. So if you're, if you're in here now and you don't know him, 
You know, maybe know of him, but you don't know him in your heart. You haven't invited him into your heart. You get to make that choice too, and that's a very simple choice. The word says that if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's not a bunch of stuff. We don't have to get our life to this place and then say, okay, now I think I'm ready. Jesus will take you where you are and who you are, all your baggage, everything that you have. That's what he wants. Most of all, he wants your heart. And he offers you life and life abundant in exchange. Have you made that decision? So as we go into our worship time here, we're going to serve communion. I want you to stay where you are for the first song. In fact, we're not even going to put lyrics up on the screen. I want you to sit and reflect. And if you accept the challenge of Jesus, maybe you've already, and it's time for renewing that acceptance. I just want you to take this time and tell Jesus that. Make a covenant with your Lord and Savior that, yes, I accept this challenge and I will be different. I will live the way that you have taught because I want that abundance and blessing that you offer. I want that. Take this time. And maybe you're in a place where you're not sure that you can give up some of those things. Tell him that too. Lord, I don't know if I, I want that, but I don't know if I can give this up. Let him minister to you. We'll do that for a few minutes, okay? Stay in place. Then Lauren will release you to go ahead and start moving about, take communion. We've got wine and bread up front. We'll serve you up here. And then we have the crosses, which have juice and bread. You can serve yourself if you'd like there. And let's do that in thanksgiving for what Jesus accomplished for us and for the, even the opportunity to accept his offer. Amen.
Thank you that you show up every single time, Father. Deserving or not, you're there. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never abandon us, God. We don't have to worry about doing it on our own, God, because you're here with us to hold our hand, to walk our path with us. We just thank you for your presence, Father. We just love you so much, God. 
We're going to worship one more song together. You're, we'd love for you to stay and, and just have this one one more time with us today. But if you have to go, then you are you know, released to go. We pray a blessing over you and your family to and from wherever you're traveling. We just, we just want to bless you and we just want to love on you. So we hope that we see each and every one of you back here next week. We're just going to worship just one more song together. I've seen you move and you move 
that you guys have an amazing week and that we see you back here next week. Bless you guys.